Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. Wonderful. Uh, It is very good to be together. It is very good to be with you. Uh, For those of you who I haven't met, my name's Josh. I first came to St. John's about seven years ago and have been lurking around the church in various capacities ever since. I'm currently going into my final year training for ordained ministry in Cambridge and it's been two years since I visited this church and that is far too long. So even though we have some way to go before we are back to normal, it is good to be back with you. It is good to be together. It is good to be looking at Psalm 65 with you. Uh, While Before we begin, uh, why don't we take a moment in prayer? Lord God, we thank you that you are already at work in this service, that you are already meeting your people here. You are already forming us to be a people together. Ask that as, you, as we study your words, that that work would continue. In your name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was up in Scotland visiting my family for the first time in about a year. And I was struck by... Kind of one of the strange things of visiting someone uh, after so long in a pandemic is that you are treated to the various walks that they have curated over the last 18 months. So my wife and I were up in Edinburgh for about two weeks and we were shown all the various walks that uh, my family had got used to kind of doing regularly. Uh, and one such walk was around a lock uh, in Kinross, and I remember walking around uh, this uh, this lock and stumbling across this graveyard. And at the time, I was thinking about Psalm 65, and I was reflecting on it, and reflecting on the fact that the the reading that we heard from Bethan, there was just the whole of creation is there, and not only the whole of creation, but uh, God's creation, God's creating act, and God's redemptive work are, just, are, are both there and are kind of sat on top of each other. And I found myself stumbled across this uh, graveyard with a lock behind it and hills uh, and all sorts of creation, and and stood in this kind of crumbling graveyard with this scaffolding around parts of the. Uh, graveyard and just thought oh this is this I I recognize Psalm 65 in this that I recognize that you have the whole of creation and some kind of uh, sin and death but also the hope of uh, redemption layered on top of each other and obviously on one level the scaffolding isn't there to resurrect uh, that graveyard. The scaffolding is probably just there to stop things falling off any further. But even so, having look, looking at 
that place through the prism of Psalm 65, I saw something hopeful. I saw something that I wouldn't otherwise see. And it struck me that Psalms, one way we can think about Psalms is Psalms are maps. They are And different maps will always draw out different features of reality and they will draw you to notice things and relate to the world around you in a different way. So for example, if I am using City Mapper, I will relate to London in a different way than if I were going around with an Ordnance Survey map. And equally, I would relate differently uh, to London if I was going around using Pokemon Go. They would each reveal different things about the landscape. Each reveal different things about what's there. And, and they don't, they're not contradictory. They are all in some sense true, but they highlight different aspects of reality. And so perhaps one way to think about the different Psalms is that they are highlighting different aspects of reality and they are maps to train us to relate to the world in a particular way. So the question is, what might this psalm be inviting us to see about God and God's creation and how we relate to that through that map? And I suppose similar to that landscape in King Ross that I described that you can see on the screen, the psalm wants us to see redemption in the context of creation and God's re- and uh, creation in the context of redemption and wants us to understand that God the creator is also God the redeemer. So what would it look like for us to live with this map? Well, I want to highlight three ways. And through that, partly because of this scene, I want to think about this psalm as a map to a beach. Now, some of these ways, because it's summer psalm, so that feels appropriate. Some of these ways are slightly more tenuously about a beach, but I hope you'll humor me and we'll kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. Uh, but I want to explore through that image of a beach and think, how are... How might this psalm be a map to, a particular, to different kinds of beaches? So, let's start there. I've recently started watching uh, a YouTube series uh, because evidently uh, I have too much time on my hands uh, called Hot Ones, in which various celebrities are interviewed while they are eating progressively spicier and spicier Uh, chicken wings or vegan equivalents and it's remarkable the way in which the kind of novelty of the format but also the sheer pain of eating these hot wings elicits a different kind of response and a more reflective interesting set of responses from the people being interviewed. Uh, I wonder Sarah if the next community organizing training you can integrate that into one-to-ones and that might be a way that we can all get to know each other uh, better And the latest episode that I watched was with the uh, singer Lord, uh, who was asked about her new single, Solar Power, which is a great song, but describes going to the beach in almost religious terms. And when the interviewer asked her about it, she said this, I'm not religious in any way, but my experiences of nature in the last couple of years were as close to what I'd experienced as religion, so it was a devotional record for me. And it seems to me that that is a common experience for many people throughout lockdown. Now, obviously, my experience in Cambridge will be quite different to your experience uh, in East London of that. But it seems that in, in lots of different contexts, people have had a renewed sense of the 
the, the created world and the power of that and almost the transcendent uh, that's at work in creation. And one way of thinking about Psalm 65 is as a map to those experiences to say there is something true in that. You do encounter something transcendent in nature, something almost devotional, but there's something else going on. There's something that explains it. Because Psalm 65 very clearly is about the goodness of creation. It affirms that uh, why that we, what we encounter in nature is good, but it also provides an account. It explains what we are encountering, and what we what we find is that creation is good, but creation can't secure its own goodness. In Solar Power, in that brilliant pop song, the transcendence is fundamentally unknowable. We don't really know what it is that we are encountering. Whereas in this psalm. When we encounter creation, we encounter fellow creatures who are made good by God. In verse 6, we read that God has established the mountains. In verse 7, we read that he has stilled the seas. and He imposed order on places of chaos. In verse 9, he visits the earth to water it. And then in the the, the kind of second thread on this uh, theme is that these creatures are also worshipping God, so they are caught up in worship. So in verse 1, we have the praises due to God. In verse 2, all flesh will come to God. And then in verses 8, 12, and 13, there's a similar sense that all creation is caught up in worship to God. So that when we have these transcendent experiences with other creatures, with other people, with the created world... What this psalm teaches us is that everywhere we go, we are surrounded by fellow worshippers. Imperfect worshippers, worshippers who are broken in some senses, but worshippers who even by their existence proclaim who God is. And the invitation, the invitation is to see that creation as creation is worshipping, as all of creation is from God and for God. And this doesn't mean that we uh, worship creation or we mindlessly kind of defer to Uh, everything about the world, but it is to recognize everything has a God-given dignity. And what we say about another creature is saying something about the God that is the creator of that creature. I wonder this morning, can you think of things in your life that you don't treat as if they were created by God? I wonder what it would look like for us to live more under this map. So that's one sense in which I think this psalm is a map to a beach. You encounter the goodness of the sea and the land, and you thank God, and you join in with the praise that creation is offering God. The second way is more tenuous, so bear with me on this. I wonder if anyone remembers the the Chris Tomlin song, Indescribable, so there's, there's some nods. It's kind of early noughties uh, Christian worship. Uh, a friend of mine often complains about this song. And her complaint goes like this. The song is called Indescribable. But it's clear that Chris Tomlin doesn't think God's indescribable. Because if he thought uh, God was indescribable, he would sing Indescribable and stop there. But there are, there's a lot longer chorus, and there's many more verses which describe, which go on and try and describe God. So, what is going on? 
Well, uh, as, a, as, as an answer to that complaint, which on some level I understand, I want to suggest that actually in Psalm 65 we find that Chris Tomlin has precedence, that Chris Tomlin is in continuity with Psalm 65. And to understand why, let's go to verse 1. So the translation that we uh, heard read for us uh, was something along the lines of that praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And that's, that's, the most, that, that's a very common translation across the different uh, English translations we have. But in uh, Robert Alter's translation, who's a scholar who's done a lot to kind of emphasize the poetry of the Old Testament, uh, he says actually looking at the, uh, the kind of taken literally, tr- the literal translation of the, uh, the, the words in the Hebrew in verse 1, you would get something like, silence is praise. Silence is praise. It's not to say that the, the translation we heard was wrong or the translation that you encounter is wrong, but he's saying there's, there's this other sense that if we look at it literally, uh, the, the, the translation is silence is praise. And he writes this to try and justify uh, and what he thinks the psalmist is doing. It says, the speaker begins this psalm of praise in a paradoxical gesture by affirming that the subject of the psalm, God's greatness, is beyond what language can express so that silence alone is due praise. The poet, however, cannot remain silent and he goes on to celebrate God's goodness. This psalm starts with the recognition of the fact that God is so great, God is so beyond articulation that in some sense silence is the only appropriate response. It recognizes that human beings are limited and limited by their nature, not simply just because we are sinful, though of course we are, but even if we weren't, we could never express how truly great, how truly awesome God is. We can't get there. And so the psalmist wants to suggest that the glory of God is always on the tip of creation's tongue. No matter how hard we try, we can never articulate the goodness of God fully. The writer Marilyn Robinson puts it like this. We live on a little island of the articulatable, which we tend to mistake for reality itself. We live on a little island of the articulatable, which we tend to mistake for reality itself. So we spend so much time on this island of stuff that we can name, this island of things that we understand, and God is beyond that. This is, the, this is the tenuous beach, because I want to suggest this psalm is a map to the, kind of the, the edge of the island of what we can name. It is a kind of language beach. It is where the, the land of what we can name meets the sea of the unnameable, of the inarticulatable uh, goodness and greatness of God. But the point is that our, where our language fails, and we recognize that our language falls short, But nevertheless, the psalmist continues. It's a recognition that silence is on some level the only appropriate response, but you can't stop at silence. You need to try and articulate who God is. You cannot help but worship. But you you worship from a posture of humility, of recognizing that our words will always fall short. But nevertheless, because God is so good, because God is so loving, we can't help but sing. The psalm begins in silence and ends with singing. So we start with the impossibility impossibility of articulating who God is, and then with the psalmist and with Chris Tomlin, we give it a go anyway. So I wonder, what would it look like to live 
as if uh, this were a map to the kind of beach of the reality that we find ourselves on. One answer is rediscovering uh, the importance of silence. I personally really struggle with silence in prayer, both due to my temperament and also just my sheer lack of sanctification. And I know that a bunch of you will struggle for, uh, with silence for much better reasons, because of kids and work and just general busyness. But are there ways in which you could uh, choose to, as you enter worship, as you enter times of prayer, to become more aware of the sheer kind of beyondness and transcendence of God? For some of us, the gift of tongues will perform a similar function as silence. It is praise, but recognizing that we don't really understand what we are worshipping, but we are worshipping nevertheless. So it might be that for some people who have that gift, actually the invitation is to practice that more, to begin times of prayer and worship using that gift of tongues. It might be for some people that you want to ask for prayer to, to receive that gift. The rest of us uh, who, who don't have that gift, uh, what do we do? Well, we could use silence, uh, but also maybe, there's some, maybe there is a gift in the fact that we are having to wear masks as we worship. In some ways, wearing masks as we worship, putting our masks on as we enter church, can remind us about how ludicrously inadequate this whole exercise is, how that we can never articulate and give God sufficient glory it reminds us of our limits. So that wearing masks, we can then tr- choose to use that as a reminder of just how difficult it is to begin to express who God is, but then do it anyway. And thank God that he welcomes that praise anyway. So this psalm is an invitation to the beach and it's an invitation to enjoy creation as from and for God. It's an invitation to recognize the limits of human capacity to worship and worship even so. But I want to suggest that actually that's, those two themes are really important, but they are all scene setting for what is at the heart of the psalm. Because the psalm describes all this as if to say we find ourselves on this beach, we see the goodness of creation and the transcendence of God, we recognize our own limitations. And in seeing the goodness of creation and the God who made it, the brokenness around us and in us is made even clearer. Verse 3 that we heard earlier, when iniquities prevail against me, and they do prevail, and we're aware of the particular pressures of this current moment, of fear, of constantly trying to work out different risks, of tiredness, of a sense of inadequacy, And in that place, we are stranded with ourselves. We know the goodness of this God, but we lack the capacity to draw close to him. And we do not deserve it. So we are are on this beach, facing the transcendence of God with our own sinfulness, and we are stranded. But But that isn't where the psalm leaves us. Because throughout the psalm, it talks of God's mighty acts, And God's mighty acts that he comes to us and he draws close. At the heart of this psalm is a God who comes across the water towards us. At the heart of this psalm is Jesus. When this psalm tells us that God the creator is God the redeemer, we hear that God is Jesus. God comes to us as Jesus. 
He has made atonement for us. Verse 4 tells us that we have been chosen and that we are brought near in God's courts. And it's because of Jesus that we can trust this map. We know that it is secure. It is because God has taken on flesh that we know creatures are good. It is because the eternal word was and is spoken as flesh that we know our worship can be true. And it is because Jesus has ascended that we know that verse 2 is correct, that all flesh will come to God, that that is our destiny. And some of us might be sitting here thinking, uh, as listening to the start of this, going, yep, creation's good, I get that. Yes, I'm very limited, I get that. And you may have felt that as a weight. And that's okay. These are weighty things. But this psalm uses all of that in the service of good news. Because what it wants to describe is a transcendent God who nevertheless comes near to you and me. Who calls us near. And it's because of Jesus that we know that he is a God who hears our prayer. Because Jesus is the one in which We pray, and he is also the answer to all our prayers. And we know that we are heard. We know that the cries of all our hearts have been heard because Jesus has come to us. And he is the answer to all our prayers before we can even begin to pray them. To the extent to which the psalm is a map of a beach, I think rather than that uh, beach in Kinross, as nice as it was, Perhaps it's better to think of it as the beach in John 21, where on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus' friends find the resurrected Jesus there, making them breakfast. To live with the map of this psalm is to be reassured that the God who creates is the God who redeems. The God of all creation comes and makes you breakfast. He feeds you. It's an all-powerful redeemer who wants to gather us to his house, who wants to feed you. This is a God who has made a place for himself in creation and calls creation and calls you to share in that place with him. And that's what we're doing here. We are entering the space God has made for himself in creation. And that's why we come to the communion table, because we recognize that to live by the map of scripture is to encounter a God who wants to feed us, who wants to feed us, who wants to give us breakfast, who wants to feed us with himself. So regardless of whether you're able to get to a literal beach this summer, my prayer is that you would find something of the beach or perhaps beaches that this psalm describes, that you would know that the God who creates all things, who is transcendent, who is beyond all language, has come to us as a human, has come to you, has redeemed us, is redeeming us, is at work, and that hope is not off the table. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.